Transformers and more. Ministry of Love, Torture Chambers, Ministry of Planet, just not any. Ministry of Peace, Peace is War, War is Peace. Oh, the world has changed and left us wanting more. Oh, we can't get back to 1984. Sixteen candles, it's your birthday. Ah, sorry we missed it. We'll go roller skating, in vitro's creating, 1984, smoky bars, sex and cars, cruise the mall, double think, double speak, artificial heart, agent orange, new world order, sold to AT&T, no fear of fear, who are you going to call, interest raters, sharks in the bay, alligators, no courts, just arbitrators, dominators, Oh, the world has changed and left us wanting more. Oh, we can't get back to 1984. Like a virgin acid wash, acid rain, purple rain, new wave rock and roll, big brother. Everybody on the floor. Oh, the world has changed and left us wanting more. Oh, we can't get back. Back to 1984. Oh, the world has changed and left us wanting more. Oh, we can't get back to 1984. Infomercials, you're gonna love my nuts. Oxyman, remote control on a cord, boom box, MTV is on. I'll be back. Terminator, PG 13, where's the beef? 50 million sold, world record dominoes. Oh, the world has changed and left us wanting more. Oh, we can't get back to 1984. Oh, the world has changed and left us wanting more. Oh, we can't get back to 1984. Vultures landed. Reagan made the call. What's this uranium for? Weapons of war. Airplanes and freighters, traitors and traitors in room 101. Arwell said, two plus two is five. Stress tests, no contradictions. Two plus two is five. <laughs> You brought me like way, way. I think you almost covered every single thing that was going on at that time. Yeah. And it's funny, you bring up it, it's called 1984. Yeah. And it's you crazy. wrote it. It's a great song. And obviously, my first thought was Orwell, right? Yeah. And, and you definitely ended with Orwell, right? So it's funny how times have changed, huh? They've changed. Not for the better. <laughs> no. Nina, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being on the show and uh, opening it up that way. Thank you for having me. I don't know. This is going to be good. I mean, we're going to have a really great conversation. I'm excited about this. It's just uh, we had a chat on the phone, and you reached out, and you're a fan. You found the show, and, and we got talking, and uh, we're like-minded on a lot of things that are going on in construction. You're from one segment, so you're a mortgage broker. Uh, sorry, real estate broker. I correct. Uh, real estate broker. And so you see it when it's supposed to be finished. We're in it when it's being done, but 
there's faults all along the line here now. Like this is really, really bad what's going on with, uh, I guess, what we're selling to clients, right? Or what's being allowed to be sold to clients. That's right. Uh, I think we all have the same product. Yeah. And there's a lot of us involved with that product. So you have all, um, everybody uh, that has their own uh, portion that they work on. But it's the same product. Yeah. But we're not going to dive too much into, I guess, your, your bread and butter business. We're going to dive into your passion. Because you've uh, you've been, I don't know how it is, either smart or courageous or just you've been just been ballsy enough to go and confront people with the right questions or even just questions at all and asking them, why? Why is it this way? Like, why can't we do it this way? Why can't we? And they don't. So, I mean, we're, I want to talk a lot about how you've been able to do that and that experience and how you... How do you keep on doing that? Because I would have just been hands up and just frustrated. You just give up at sometimes, right? Somebody has to do it. We need more people. To no do one it. else will show up. No, we need more people to do it. Let me share some deeds here. So Nina Deeb is here, uh, your broker. Its website is Nina Deeb, uh, D-E-E-B.com, and it's Nina at Nina Deeb at.com. And been in the business a while, almost three decades, right? That's right. You've seen it change. I've seen a lot of change. Yeah. I'm wearing uh, out west, Alberta. Uh, thanks, guys, so much. I'm wearing 780 uh, Handyman tea. That's what I've got going on today. I actually wanted to um, just share this. You've probably seen this so many times. This is a home inspection form, mm-hmm. right? So I'm not a huge fan of home inspectors. Um, and it's just funny that I, I had a friend of mine trade. He was like, listen, can you just review this and just give me your opinion? I, I just want to make sure that we're on the same page. So I reviewed it and we were on the same page. But I just find it really interesting that home inspectors that their first page has this clause limits the liability of the home inspector please read carefully before signing so basically everything that they give you or everything that they saw or what they didn't see they're not responsible for and they just walk away from it i think the liability on there is just the maximum value of the inspection whatever the inspection that's, it. Cost. that's all it is right yes. but, but i mean to get a, a thorough inspection on any property you got to start making holes you got to start diving into the the guts of the house you can see certain things at that point but i just i never liked that they they just waived everything you know i i just told you a bunch of stuff about this property but by the way it means nothing yeah i don't like the word wave <laughs> <laughs> so that's just that he came like little things come up to me all the time and people want to get my opinion for whatever reason i guess you do almost 400 shows and you you meet and and i i do the show to meet people like you i do this show so that i can educate and i keep thinking to myself I wish I had this a long time ago when I got started in construction because I'd be listening to it to get into the plumber, the deck builder, everybody's minds and try to get their insight. And, but then also I, I love speaking to the real estate side of the business, the design side of the business, engineers, architects, everybody. Love getting into homeowners. We've had homeowners on the show before. I want to pick their brain because I think there's a slight disconnect between our industry and the homeowners. There's a, a vision that's presented to them whether they see it or not or want to, and then there's the reality that we do. And so there's always that kind of disconnect. And then let's get into what you're doing as the passion side, because as we were talking off mic before we got started, you were painting a picture for me about a hearing, about going in and discussing bills, that are and bills are presented to the public all the time, right? And for whatever reason, when you were describing this situation to me, I started thinking it's the chicken and egg situation. But instead of a chicken and egg, it's like, did the lawyers come before the politicians or did the politicians come before the lawyers? 
because these politicians speak as if they're lawyers or they've been dress rehearsed to speak like a lawyer to not actually answer a public question. I'll leave you, that's where I want to begin with this thing. There's actually filibustering going on within the committees. So, and I, I listen to and I just chuckle at some of it because they think like it's, it's clear to the layman sitting there listening. Yeah. Uh, like, for example, there was a, uh, on one of the bills, Steve Clark was reading a letter from one of the mayors, I think it was. So Steve Clark right now, his position, he's the minister, uh, not the minister of housing. He's the minister of housing. Yeah, that's what I thought. So he's love to have him on the show. I reached out, but we'll see. That'd be great. <laughs> That'd be great if yeah, that would be wonderful. Um, I, I wish they would come and speak to us because when they refuse to, you know, come on shows like this, they're really saying that they're not transparent. Uh, there's no, they're not accountable or transparent. Otherwise, why wouldn't they? The what, what's the what's the worry? Yeah. Uh, like Doug Ford is the first uh, premier not to give TVO an interview, and TVO was created by uh, Bill Davis. So Bill Davis created this entity, this public uh, television ed- entity that the province controls has, and the premier won't even give uh, won't even give the host of TVO an interview. First premier ever. Did he give a reason why? Not that I know of. Like, I think just uh, I did see that uh, TVO had said that the first premier ever to not give them an interview was uh, Ford. Well, <coughs> he's probably also the first premier to increase his net worth over a two-year period of about $50 million. Well, I don't know, but Brian Mulroney did extremely well. Yeah, all, well, I mean, you don't get into politics because you want to serve the public. Not at all. Sorry to say. Yeah, I don't think so. Like, I think the politicians that are working for the public seem to always be on the defensive side, the opposition side, the ones that speak the truth. Uh, but quite often, once they're elected, they change their perspectives. Uh, like, for example, on Tarion. So Tarion, when this government wasn't the government, they're going to fix it, they're going to take care of it, they're going to do I all these. I remember all that. I, I remember hearing all those bites, I know. And as soon as they were elected, they actually gave more power and more. Uh, they just, uh, they did the opposite of what they said they were going to do. And um, like that's one of the billion dollar corporations, right? Yeah, that's where the corporations come in, the lawyers come in, and then the politicians come in as gatekeepers that basically prevent the public sector who's paying all your salaries. And somehow, are we really agreeing to all these budgets that are coming up? I just find it scary. So the the uh, taxpayer does not pay these private corporations um, uh, staff, like the the people that are working these private corporations. It's funded usually by the that particular industry. So it used to be funded by the province when the province was taking care of consumer protection. It was uh, through the province, and it was an expense to the taxpayer then. Yeah. But since 1970, started in 1971, uh, the first severance uh, for consumer protection was uh, the Ontario New Home Warranty. And uh, so consumer protection was, at that time, uh, pretty much delegated to the real estate development industry, which there were uh, people at the time, uh, specifically Jacob uh, 
Ziegler, Professor Jacob Ziegler, I think his last name was, from UFT. And he said, like, he, that was, so that was 1976. And he said, this is essentially uh, handing over consumer protection to the industry itself. Policing and, themselves. Yeah. And it's just grown and grown. So it didn't stay uh, just like when something like that is permitted into the economy. It uh, will seek more revenue sources. And that's what's happened. So now there's 14 delegated authorities. I call them 14 Tarions. Really? Yeah. So last year I attended, um, I think, half of their annual meetings. How do they greet you, Nina? When you, when you, because you, you are making a loud voice here. Like you're going in there. I don't think they're happy I'm there. I think they're surprised I'm there. But it's, for me, uh, what I see happening, um, for me to be aware of what I'm aware of and to not be there would be, uh, it'd be irresponsible of me. So I look at it like you're driving by something ugly that you know that you can help with. Do you drive by? Like, I don't need to go to the spa at Ontario Place. I can stop and see if I can help oh, out. Oh, you want to bring, oh, it's like... Ford, I don't, you know, it's, Ford is not doing a good job. I don't care what anybody says. He got elected, reelected in there for, I guess it was a, it was a three card Monty deal. Like it was just look over here. Don't worry. I'm reelected. And this is what I'm going to start doing. And by the way, I'm going to have certain people that are going to be in my circle. And I'm going to start opening up these pockets for extremely wealthy people and then i'm gonna receive some like it's just basically it's just funny how you cannot say like i honestly i was trying to get monty on the show uh and and it's been pushed it's been pushed it's been pushed and i'm just so sick and tired of it but my first question was just gonna ask him is there corruption in government that's it i just like because we know that there is you get you once you get in you either play by their rules or you try to play against their rules and guess what they will push you out and that's how we get individuals like Roman. He doesn't, he'll never, he, he, he's a great voice. He speaks up, but he'll never get in. They won't allow him in. So then you get in and you stay in, then you become that. And then you don't, I keep going back to, you're not serving people. And then like you said, it's true. Majority of us in this city, probably around the country, we're not doing enough. We're, we're just watching the car crash. We're rubbernecking and then we're moving on but we're not stopping getting out and helping and changing things. And this is where it's scary. Like if he, I, like I had the best damn roofer on the show here and he actually made it very clear where there's more of us than them. Like we're a nation of almost 40 million. There's 1.4 of us, 1.4 million of us in the construction industry. I don't even know what real estate side, I don't even know, you know, like that, that number that's attached to it, but there's a lot more of us than them, but we're just not doing enough to them to question accountability. They're writing the rules. So <laughs> they're lobbying for the rules. They're writing the rules. Um, I got very, very involved. I've, I've always been involved, but I got very involved. I kicked it into high gear in uh, 2000 and I guess it started around 2012, but it got, I, I really got um, concerned in 2019. What was the trigger back in 2012? Oh, I had a um, I had an eviction. My husband and I had an eviction with a tenant, and uh, I actually got the experience of the landlord and tenant board. So that's fun. 
Well, they have no idea who I was sitting there watching what was going on there. I sat there and I looked around and I said, what on earth is this? We dealt with this at World War II. Uh, we dealt with this with the Russian gulag. This is, we should not be running things from the bottom. Like we're ruling from the bottom. Social justice rules from the bottom. We're not, rule, we're not, we're not putting our best people up there to yeah. run things. We're actually putting... Uh, the people that are all our victims, where anyone that wants to decide they're a victim, you know, I'm a, well, you can find all kinds of crutches of why you're going to be a victim and why you should have those positions. And that's who's being hired for these positions. So these positions are, we're, hi we're hiring from the bottom and these are our, our adjudicators. We're hiring from the bottom. That's what social justice is. We're not hiring based on merit. We're uh, we're hiring based on mediocrity rather than merit meritocracy. Like that, we should be how good somebody is. It's so true. And they toss people out after ten years. I don't think you can go past a ten. So they get rid of their seasoned people. They don't want uh, people around that know what they're doing. So if you do get a job as an adjudicator within the, your time is limited, and once you've been there working within that social justice system. I don't know what your possibilities are from there. I mean, I guess you could get appointed to these boards or... But they're still in the background somehow. Like, they don't just leave that. They, well, I've read some incidences of some adjudicators that virtually become unemployable after either because the um, for because of whatever reason, it looks like they were... Like, their appointments just aren't renewed or it looks like they're let go, even though they're not really let go, but they look like they've been let go. Well, you worked there for 10 years and then just, you know, what happened? It doesn't look good that you're somewhere 10 years and all of a sudden you're not there, not because you don't want to be, just because you weren't uh, reappointed. So these positions, if you're good at what you do, if a judge is, uh, I mean, a judge is for, we don't just say, you know what, judge, you've, you've got too much experience and you've got to go. You've got your time is up. You've got 10 years. You're out of here. Now, there actually is an advocacy group um, on tribunals in Ontario. I do follow their um, publications and what they put out and what they study because it's a group of lawyers and professors and uh, the study the law and one of the uh, one of the contributors there is Ron Ellis and he's a he's the WSIB former chair. He's um, a consultant now or no? What's he doing now? Uh, as far as I know, he's working on the Ontario Watch. I'm not sure what else he does, okay. but All I right. do know that he works on that. Um, he puts quite a bit of energy into. It looks like he puts quite a bit of energy into that. Uh, but what that sheds a light on is the issue with tribunals. So everything that's important to the citizens is being um, adjudicated and being run through tribunals, social justice tribunals. So you have rights if you can access them. And that's an issue that I have. I have an issue with inaccessible rights. If the rights are not accessible, I don't believe we have rights. And as far as property rights go, I have a very, my theory on property rights is property rights include the right to life. And if we don't have property rights, we also don't have the right to our lives. And that's why I take my work so seriously. I got into this business thinking I'm, it's going to be glamorous. It's going to be wonderful. It's going to be happy. Uh, once in a while I have a divorce or somebody might pass away and there might be a house sold. That won't be so great. But for the most part, I was expecting, you know, 
great things. You know, it's going to be nice cars, and there's going to be Positive. parties, and there's going to be housewarming life. parties, living, and there's going to be babies. There's going to be all kinds of fun, fun things. It's all going to be celebrations, I thought. And what I um, found was not that at all. Like, I found something totally different here. I didn't, I always said I don't want to be a doctor because I don't want to deal with death. I don't want to deal with, um, well, you saw during uh, what we went through in the last few years in certain parts of the world, the doctors were deciding who lived and who died, not ba- based on what they had. They didn't have based the resources. On, based on corporations. And that scared me. And I, at the time, I'm looking, I'm saying, I'm so grateful I'm not in the medical industry that I'm not that doctor making that decision of who's going to live and who's going to die. Um, that's what turns me off about the, uh, that's why medicine wasn't my, yeah. um, I love fixing things. I love to take things apart and uh, see how they work. And so, of course, oh, don't get the, I don't want to take people apart and see how they work, but you can fix things, right? You can, you to have the power to fix things, to create something that everybody, that's good for the people, or you can also create something that's bad for the people. You can be a butcher, or you can be a doctor, and um I, I saw some doctors that they, I don't think they wanted to be, uh, they wanted to be on the helping side, but they just didn't have that option. They didn't have the option of being the helpers anymore, and I would never want that to be taken away from me. If I want to be a helper, I don't want to be a, um, a perpetrator of trouble. I'd rather be a helper. This must, like you must spend a lot of time on this. I'm assuming you're probably spending more time on this than you are on actually your day job as a broker, right? No. No? No, no my job is busy. Okay, but you're still my finding the time busy. to do all this stuff too? Because I, mean, I, I want I want love for you to walk us through the very first time that you went to a hearing. And what do you remember what bill that was and what was discussed? And hmm. <laughs> it might have been uh it was probably the first time i spoke on a hearing yeah. like came in s- to speak on a hearing i had i had delegated i've consulted and delegated and given my 10 cents for a long time a lot of time it's just you know i do it online like through the internet i didn't even save the stuff i, I now i save what i do because at the like i want to i think to myself didn't i say that 10 years you, ago you want to bring up <laughs> So do you do you not have to I guess first register that you're going to be speaking like yeah. do you, what's like you got to go through the whole process. So first of all you have to find out about the bill. Then you do your homework and read the bill and find out what's going on in this bill and then you want to speak for or against this bill, right? Um but you have to let everybody know at that government stage that you're going to be there. As soon as a bill comes out that has anything to do with housing, if it's if it has anything to do with my business, I read it. I've already read it before they've even opened up the hearings. What's the language like? Uh, it's very particular. Like it's uh, it's specific to it's specific to real estate and finance. And there's a lot of they use a lot of words they don't need to use. Like they use uh, words that they could use simpler words. Like I it concerns me that they do that. I I think that if they used simpler words, people would um, it'd be more easier to read well there's just make it easier to read like you don't have to use these big words you can use the regular words for us like we are not this isn't a competition use standard words that people know what they mean um that they're not having to thesaurus this and and not some of the words are specific to real estate or finance uh, like i find um 
But they do mesh in and out. Um, I don't think that real estate is separate from finance. I think real estate is finance. Real it estate. used to be. Yeah. It used to be. Real estate used to be separate from finance. But uh, after 1952, that changed things. Who's writing the bills? Not who we want. That's what I mean. It's like, I guess they're presenting the bills, but they're basically just a puppet, for lack of a better word, that... But I want to know who actually wrote it um, because then, you know, like, l listen, you're a songwriter. I respect anybody who can write something. Um, you, you should take accountability if you wrote this. If your name is on this, whether you're the premier, the minister, the prime, whatever. If you wrote it, then take the responsibility of it and either defend it or change it. The person that says they wrote it is it's not just one person that usually writes it. Committee, and if you yeah. look at the bills, the language that's used, so what I find happening is the language is consistent. It's consistent, and sometimes it's supposed to be coming from different places, but it's not. If it was coming from different places, they wouldn't speak. You'd be speaking using the same terminology. Um, so there's some catchphrases that I see, and I just I, I chuckle whenever I hear them because I know when these started being used, and they're... It's almost like a, a branding. They're, they're branding, and they're using the same language, and it's coming from different directions. So you start to believe it. Like, it starts to be the, that starts to be the narrative. That starts to be what we're being told. Like, to be told about nimbyism. Nimbyism is a neoliberal construct. I don't believe it exists. I don't believe in nimbyism. I think nimbyism has been made to be something so not in my backyard has resulted in no backyards. We don't have backyards anymore. We have high rises. We have cities in the sky, and these cities in the sky are getting bigger and bigger. Uh, pretty soon we'll be looking like Chicago or like we're going to have these um, cities in the sky. There, there's one that's like 1,700 apartments, and uh, who's owning these cities in the sky? That's, that is something that I've been... Um, trying to bring awareness to for since 2018. Do you remember when City Place announced their proposition on Office Medina there and that whole... I, I remember because back in when I was in the film industry, we were working on that dirt pit in a, in a production. So I remember standing in between the gardener and standing in between Front Street, and it was just all dirt. It was all dirt. And then all of a sudden, the words were coming down that this is all going to change now, and then the 20-plus towers just showed up magically one day. And it wasn't it recently before John Tory got re or resigned or whatever, and now everyone's vying for his job. He was talking about a green space. They wanted to build a green, elevated green space in the downtown core because what you just said, there's so much concrete going on downtown. Toronto's really poorly planned. It doesn't have green spaces, proper green spaces. New York is probably the perfect example of it where it does, but who's that attainable? Like, who's that available for? Nobody that's... There's a reason why there's a street named Billionaire's Row. So only the wealthy can actually experience the green space. And so that's happening in Toronto too. You, know, you want to start parking all this green space area downtown, but you're parking it right beside structures that are only available to certain people, financially speaking. That's right. You know, John Tory's been a politician since he was 14 years old. Wow. So he was the secretary of Bill Davis. He was, um, he ran, I, I think he was the leader of the PC Youth Party. 
Uh, so he's been a, a PC politician for 55 years or something. Wow. And he's been around for the creation of Terion when it was the Ontario New Home Warranty Program. He would have been around. I, I joke around. I say he was probably in the room when Terion was born. <laughs> uh, so... <laughs> Daddy, um, okay. And also the Real Estate Investment Trust. You can also see the creation of Real Estate Investment Trust. You can trace those back to Tories. So it's been 30 years, and can you make an assumption where it's going? Well, uh, I don't see that there's uh, checks and balances in place yeah. or like a complaints mechanism for citizens of Ontario to make complaints about politicians. I have, I know who the housing speculator is. I've publicly said it. I've publicly put it in writing. I have said it at meeting, at um, committee. And it's it's public information, who the housing speculator for Canada is uh, for real estate investment trusts and private equity. It's very clear. And there's a conflict of interest with a politician that is a current sitting politician in Ontario, and nothing can be done about it. I tried to file a complaint with the integrity commissioner, and the integrity commissioner told me that only politicians can file complaints about politicians. So the people... Policing themselves. Yeah. So, and I, I submitted it anyway. Uh, I sent it in. I got the response back pretty much saying, you know, sorry, layman, sorry, taxpayer. You don't have a way of complaining about uh, politicians when, they're, when they have a conflict of interest that uh, contradicts the interests of the people of the province. So if it doesn't serve the people of the province, the people of the province can't speak up. Who can I complain to? I've tried the integrity commissioner. I've, I've tried the auditor general. Um, Are I've, they at least replying back to you? Oh, yes. But they're the, replying back to you with a no. Not, not within our, it's not within our uh, purview. It's not within our mandate. That's not what they do. Like the integrity commissioner is only for politicians to complain about politicians. And I look and say, well, I see something. It's like having no police for something. There's nobody I can call. There's no one I can call to say, this is inappropriate. I don't think that this politician who happens to be married to the Blackstone housing speculator, like she's married to Blackstone Canada's housing speculator. So uh, finance, the person that came to Canada to look around and say, you know what, this is a good place to hike up the costs of living. This is a good place to hike up the cost of shelter. We can, so this is a vulture fund that came to Canada, looked around and said, we're going to make a lot of money on housing here uh, due to the policies that have been put in place over the last 40 years. So 40 years of bad policies, the free trade agreement, which allowed these uh, players to come in, it was Brian Mulroney's free trade agreement that permitted their entry. Before that, we had FIRA. We had the Foreign Investment Review um, Agency that uh, protected Canadian interests and Canadian businesses and Canadian jobs um, and Canadian manufacturing. Oh, that's another one. So we lost about a million jobs after the free trade agreement, about a million good-paying jobs, and that has been documented by Mel Hertig over and over again. He wrote seven or eight books about it. So the free trade agreement was not good for us, and... Uh, Brian Marooney has said recently that um, the, uh, it seemed that nobody was in favor of the free trade agreement except for his family. 
like this is on YouTube. And I'm like, well, it did benefit your family. Like your family's still making a living, uh, yeah. a very good living within private equity. And it does not benefit the people of this country. It was a sellout. It was the free trade agreement was a sellout. The common sense revolution, which was Mike Harris. So Mike Harris came in in 95 and we had him for about nine years. He froze minimum wage for the whole nine years he was in. So minimum wage, I was a student. I was a student when Mike Harris came to power and minimum wage was $6.85. That stayed there for nine years in Ontario. That's insane. And, uh, but ultimately who, who speaks up for, uh, like how do you leave minimum wage? How do you put the government foot over labor for nine years like that? Because other salaries are a benchmark to minimum wage, I find. Like there were certain jobs where I used to work, like a minimum wage was a benchmark, pretty much. Like this is minimum wage, and if you're making a dollar more than minimum wage, then you're, you know, you're, you're a dollar right. over minimum wage, or you're two dollars over minimum wage. Like maybe the bakers were four dollars over minimum wage, and maybe the servers at the the servers might be minimum wage because they get tips, but then the decorators and that there, the kitchen staff might be two dollars. Like it's just a there's a system in place if you work in the 30, I think it's 30% of workers make minimum wage. So it's controls, it's wage controls. I don't agree with wage controls because if it really was market, if there, if the market was what we were really working um, with, then the market would determine what the salaries should be. If you're not paying enough, you're not going to have workers for the job. Of course. Right, so the market should really determine what wages should be. I noticed that as a child, like I was a kid looking around thinking this minimum wage and these labor laws, like this isn't, this isn't okay. Like why can, why can I work three paper routes as a child and make $30 a month? But if I wanted to go bus tables somewhere, like I'm a kid that's already working. If I wanted to go bus tables for like four hours a week or something and be paid minimum wage, I'd make the same money. You've just taken the child and made sure that they can't make the, the, they have to do all that extra work to make that, say, $30 a month. But if they would, if like, it's the, it's the kind of thing of, well, you know, like I, uh, it's, there are jobs that are available, uh, but when society says we want things a certain way because of, you know, it's, it's not that the children aren't working, they're still working, they're just making less. Like it's true. And on that uh, that note, let me do a little bit of history and construction. It's funny. I've actually shared these. So these are some political salaries currently. So um, how much money does a, a typical minister make in Canada? What do you, you probably know this. The average. 260, 280. Is it goes uh, $111,620 per year or uh, $57.24, $57.24 per hour as an entry level position. Uh, so that's a season one. Sorry, that's a season one. And then the entry level position starts at 52000 That's what the minister is making per year, while most experienced workers make about 177000 So it can get as high as that. What's Doug Ford's salary right now? Maybe he's one that's 280. He's at, at 208, $208,000. What's the mayor's salary? 110. 202000 No wonder there's so many people vying for that job right now, right? It's actually two hundred and two thousand nine hundred and forty-eight dollars and twenty cents. Uh, how much does a minister of education make in Canada? 
The entry level minister of education, one to three years of experience, earns an average salary of $36,000. Ministry of Education. On the other end, a senior level minister of education, eight plus years, makes an average of $59,000. How much does a counselor in Toronto make? $120,502.20. There's that 20 cents again. The Toronto Municipal Code, Chapter 223, sets the salary of the mayor and the city councillors as an annual adjustment to the consumer price index. In 2022, the salary of a counselor was $120,502.20. Uh, who is the highest paid public servant in Canada? Uh, the highest paid public servant this time was a woman. Don Gia, CEO of UBC Investment Management Trust. I, I started reading this and I'm like, I thought this was the question, who is the highest paid public service in Canada? But then her title is the CEO of UBC's Investment Management Trust. Her salary, take a guess. We're like almost at a million, $921,413. She is the highest paid public servant in Canada. Similar to Terry and CEO. It's kind of um, it's kind of scary, and I think a lot of Canadians Canadians are nice people. Can it, this this is a great country. Lots of immigrants. My parents immigrated here. I know a lot of people in construction that their parents immigrated in here. A lot of hardworking people came from other countries, and they saw Canada as a beacon. And it's not that anymore. I have no idea what the immigrants are thinking when they're coming to Canada now. Um, but it, it's not the same immigrant. It's not the same Canada. It's not the same anything. I think what they see is what it used to be. So I think they're being sold a postcard of times past, of, you know, the home and the white picket fence and the dog and the two and a half kids. And the, I think they're seeing that. And once they get here, uh, they're seeing what it really is. But even the immigration, like as far as sectors staying within their sectors, how are we, what's, what's, how is the immigration coming to Canada? It's coming through the universities and colleges. So the universities and colleges and their public, they, they receive, they receive public funding, but they're operating as immigration systems and they're not building housing for their clients. And I've been very vocal on this for years. Uh, I've gone locally about Conestoga College. It's like, you know what Conestoga should do? They should build housing for their clients. Their clients are the students that they invite here, and they're not doing that. Um, that's a brilliant idea, by the way, Nina. Honestly, that's a brilliant idea. It's spilling into the real you market. You get the students to actually work on housing. Who better to build the proper house because they're going to live in it? They would care yep. to the they need the housing. Like, I've spoken to students. Some of them are my tenants. I, I pick their brains. It's like, tell me, tell me, what's going on? What's this? It's and hard out there for a student to find housing. It really is. Actually, today, my husband is off at the airport picking up one of our former student tenants um, and his family <laughs> like wow. from, the, from the airport. But he finished his, he finished his schooling here and... So we, we keep these relationships, uh, we maintain these relationships, but that's where he's off to today. He's picking up, uh, picking them up from the airport. We need more people. We're very underpopulated. Um, and the immigrate, we shouldn't be scared of immigration. No. I don't, like, I never want to come across like I'm anti-immigration. We have a lot of land. Uh, there's no land shortage in Ontario. 
we can or in Canada, <laughs> we have so much land, um, but we need to plan it better. We need to, we might actually, uh, we could turn off the fuel to the housing crisis if we wanted to. If the federal government was serious about dealing with the housing crisis, they could turn off the fuel, uh, but that's not what they've done. They've actually cranked up the fuel. They, they, so they, we have a housing crisis and they're adding more gas, which is the immigration so we have we don't have enough homes as it is, and we're having more people on like with the same homes. We're only building at the most. Uh, like they said, we did a hundred thousand units last year. I think they said. I don't know. I don't it was know. Just, it was just over, but I, I mean, I've been vocal saying that we need the workforce. We don't have the workforce. Who built those units? Secondary suites. Who built secondary suites? I built one. I know I was responsible for one of those units. Well, I didn't actually. My husband did. I watched. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so is I'm quite sure that my second that one secondary suite that Sam added. I'm sure that's there, and that you know they they added to the numbers. But the problem is that these people are not understanding that you can't just be speaker boxing saying we have a housing shortage and this is our solution, but nobody's speaking about bringing in more workforce to actually build these houses. The workforce is leaving. Like the age of the people that are leaving are young. They're young people leaving the province, and it's like uh, it's. How much more people are they going to bring to make up for the people that are leaving? And how long will it take to get the people that they're bringing to be in a position to have done what the people that left were already doing? They were trained people. They left. They found the environment hostile, and they left. Can you blame them? I can't blame them. I'm sorry, but I can't blame I've them. I've lost all my trades I've people. always, I'm eager to have a conversation with anybody that has left the construction industry. The same way I'm always interested in having a conversation with somebody that wants to come into the construction industry. But there are, like, exactly what you just said. They just see it's too difficult. I can't grow in this industry. They just look at it like there's so many roadblocks. Why am I going to fight this battle? It's actually the story. It's the novel of atlas shrugged ayn rand wrote that bruiser of a book that everybody hated her for loved her hated her for it um that was about the builders and the producers right um so the secretaries and government and everybody the administrators are ruling everything to the point that they ruled it uh that they forced the builders and they just went on strike they're like you know what we're leaving society. We build everything, we produce everything, and we're out of here. And they went off into their own community. And the, everybody else, everything falls apart when you, nice. you can't throw away your builders. You can't disrespect the builders of society. These are the administrators, the secretaries, and the politicians do not build anything, but they, they get in the way. Um, like one of the delegations I made, somebody said to me, like, what are your recommendations on fixing the housing crisis? What can we do? And I said, you can get out of the way. Like, get out of the way. <laughs> <laughs> You're in the way. Like, government's in the way. You know, I'm, I'm laughing because I'm crying. It's just true. You, you are, if you're not helping us lift, move. And the money they make that they, so it's, it's called, this not-for-profit money, which I'm very much, I've really honed in on these not-for-profits because they're not at all what they say they are. Oh, I know. There's a there's certain a percentage. Few, I know. Like there's maybe, there's 59,000 of them. 
Do you know that all of organized real estate is under the not-for-profit umbrella? I didn't know that. No? That's not public knowledge? They don't share that? Why? If you check each one, you'll see there's over 100 private entities. It's that are a, labeled as not? Like it's a corporate network of not-for-profits that are charging fines without hearings, that are lobbying the government all the time. Um, on Bill 3 and on Bill 23, I couldn't get a seat at that table. I couldn't delegate on that bill. They wouldn't accept me to speak. I'm a taxpayer. I do pay, I do pay taxes. The corporations uh, that don't pay taxes uh, took all the positions. There was only two individuals heard on Bill 3, I think it was. I think only two individuals. I'll say, well, there's the taxpayers. Two taxpayers spoke, and the rest were corporations. And I think there was there was one tenancy group that I mean they don't make any money. Um, but other than that, it's not for profits that don't pay taxes. So why are we permitting these not for profits that don't pay taxes to be uh, lobbying the government at all? Like you don't even contribute. So why are you, you here? Have a right. And why can I not have a seat at the table because you're here? And I pay you. I fund you, and you're taking my voice. How do you handle, like, when you get there? Because I guess you're you're in the queue, no? You're supposed to, but they don't allow you? Any bill that they don't let me speak on, I show up for the entire thing. I actually will book myself off for the however many days it is, and I will follow that circus around. I followed Bill 23 around. I was in every city they were in, and I sat behind them for every day of Bill 23 with my arms crossed, and I listened to every one of those delegates speak. I listened to all the not-for-profits talk about how to chop up my business, um, but I didn't get to speak. I did delegate on it. I did send a written submission in on it. But I listened to all of them first. I listened to what they had to say, and then I sat there taking my notes, and I sent in my submission. But what I said after that, uh, because the I think the committee gets to choose who their witnesses will be. I think that's how it works. And they said they were over, they had too many people. The mayors, there were mayors that were, they walked out one of the mayors at the uh, uh, Queen's Park I was late that day. I missed it. It was so I was so annoyed, right, that I'd missed that. But he went and he wants to speak on it, and they the security took him out. They took out the former mayor of Toronto. Uh, they but there was many many important voices that weren't heard on that bill on Bill Three, the Strong Mayors Act. Yeah. But no, Bill Twenty, uh, Bill Three, Bill Twenty Three, and Bill Three, I think. <clears throat> but they. Uh, I didn't speak on Bill 3, I didn't speak on Bill 23, I did delegate on both, but on Bill 23, once they did that to me on two bills, like once I saw that on two bills, I thought, you're not going to ignore me, I'm going to be here every day, you're going to look at me, that committee's going to look at me every single day and say, there's Nina Deeb. We they know who you are. We didn't let her talk yeah. on this bill, yeah. and I sit there, so if I speak on a bill, I'll go do my thing, usually I might hang around for a few speakers or uh, and then go. Um, but I'm not going to sit there and watch you for four or five days. I literally sit there and watch them for four or five days. I don't want them to be comfortable that they don't allow me to speak on that bill because the, I'm a taxpayer. I want to speak on this bill. It's important to me. I'm a housing expert, and I have no problem calling myself a housing expert. This is my... Uh, I've read all the bills. I read them all. Uh, I don't apologize for my opinion like my opinion is it's like an onion you know what they say i think it's shrek it's the layers yeah. of the onion yep. 
that's what's happened to housing. Like these bills upon bills. So one bill does this, another bill comes along and does this, and it does this. There are uh, little moving pieces at once. It's like taking the piece out of the coin. You know, as it, the nickels that they used to take the piece out a bit at a time until it was weighs less. So that's, that's what that does. The private corporations have been, uh, since 19, um, like I'm going to say 1952 was the turning point for the private corporations in real estate where they started uh, eating up most of the pie. They eat up most of the pie. And they pay no tax. They pay no They pay no tax. Uh, the issue I have with real estate investment trusts, like I see real estate invest, I've studied water because of property rights. Like to me, water is essential for human life. Well, not, uh, no, I didn't discover this. This is Yeah, no, no, I understand. <laughs> but you see topically when you look at a piece of land, where is it we should be building and how and why? Well, we have, if you remove the water from an area, right? So you have in Ontario, we have Ontario, we have so much water in this area. Um, if you remove, say you removed um, 20% of the water from here and bottled it and took it to another part of the world, that water is gone now. Like that water is no longer part of our system here. Yeah. So it's not, uh, it's removed. So you've moved a good, uh, it's not that it's wrong. We do have 20% of the world's potable water. Drinking water is here. It's, uh, but it should be better monitored, and it should not be for corporate profit. Um, it should be like water is a necessity of life. We shouldn't be um, bought, allowing private corporations to bottle up our public source of life. <laughs> like it's a, it's a life source. We shouldn't be bottling up life sources and allowing private corporations to sell them. And uh, that's what's happened. But real estate investment trusts do the same with the incomes of the local population. So if you have a real estate investment trust as landlords rather than your ma and pa landlords, uh, it used to be all ma and pa landlords pretty much. You had a few financialized players. The financialized players, um, they weren't really around until 92. And in 97, uh, they started accumulating but in the last five years, they have for the, I've studied a couple c- cities. I've done the entire, um, I've taken an entire inventory, rental inventory of a few cities. Cambridge, I completed. And uh, in Cambridge, three uh, financialized landlords own 24% of purpose-built market rentals. So that's happened in... Um, since 97. I got into real estate in 96. And the first building that was purchased in Cambridge was in 97. So after I was in the business, it was a few blocks away from where I started working. Mm -hmm. So they purchased their first building. And from there, they have acquired but in the last five years, they they're actually our developers now too. So the real estate investment trusts are both um, buying, they're acquiring what we already had. It's never coming back. These corporations will never give these buildings back. We will have to, if we don't put a stop to the takeover of our rental stock by these uh, players that are making housing very unaffordable, if we don't end this, we will have to, we will have no choice but to um, expropriate the buildings. Like we'll have to take them back from these corporations. They're controlling so much of our rental stock right now. They've they've already. Um, 
they've already brought up the cost of housing through rentals. They actually did it through rentals. So they acquired so much of the market that they were able That's to exactly bring the market happened. up. Yeah. They left, uh, they would buy entire buildings sometimes and renovate the whole building, leave the buildings uh, vacant. Bill 97, um, that was, that's where I was the last couple of days. I sent in a delegation on it yesterday. And Bill 97 uh, does something similar with reserving apartments, uh, forcing a reserve on apartments of 60 days. So a landlord would have to, like if you ha- were doing some work to an apartment and your the tenant has ready for refusal to come back, um, from the time you say, okay, you've got, it'll be ready on June, um, say, you know what, it's going to be ready July 1st. The renovations will be done and you can move back in July 1st. Yeah. You have to hold it for another 60 days after that day. You have to hold it vacant uh, for 60 days uh, in case the tenant wants it or doesn't want it. That's one of the things they put in that Bill 97. This is going to take thousands, maybe tens of thousands of units are going to be in reserve mode at one time. So if you look at the entire rent, so when I see something like this, I just shake my head and I'm like, what are you guys doing? It will feed the Airbnb business, the short-term rental business, because as a landlord that's sitting there with this place, it's got to sit there now, it's ready, somebody could move into it, and now you have to carry that for two months, right? Um, it's a loss. It's a loss. It's a, it's a loss. Who carries these losses, right? Oh, well, the landlords can just take a trim. The developers can just take a trim. Yeah, everybody takes a trim except for the private corporations and the government. Like the province of Ontario is treating housing like a fundraiser. They're tr- the housing is a fundraiser for the province. $20 billion on first level taxation. Like when I show up and ask for $15 billion, like they, I'm, I'm asking for it for the municipalities because that's whose job it is to provide this missing housing now. The housing that's missing is it's been downloaded to municipalities since the mid-90s. Mike Harris did that. And uh, the housing responsibility was downloaded, but the money wasn't. So they go on these annual begging uh, expeditions, asking for money, you know, like we're trying to work with the province. We want to work with the You hear them talk. It's like a begging ex. And for me, it's like, I want $15 billion for municipalities. <laughs> I'm not apologizing. You collected this money on housing taxes. We want, housing wants the money back. Like there's still, there's still $5 billion for whatever. We, it's not that I've said we want the whole thing back, but considering that that money came from housing, you made that money on housing in a housing crisis, and you will not give the money back for us to build the housing that we need to. Um, so it's a, like housing is a fundraiser for the province. The province has treated it like a fundraiser for many years. They're not contributing, they're not bringing anything to the table other than their appetite. Let me do a little bit of OBC talk, and I want to <laughs> ask you. I mean, obviously, you um, you have an idea how we can do this, and who needs to be removed or whatever, or what stages and everything like that. So I want to get into that. But um, just talking about housing right now. So OBC, uh, what is a legal rental unit Ontario wise? A rental unit can be an apartment, a house, a room in a rooming or boarding house. The act also applies to care homes, retirement homes, and sites in a mobile home park or land lease community. Many of the rules are about rent do not apply to nonprofit and public housing, university, and colleges. It's funny how that works. I just love how 
you're speaking and it's just connecting. What are the requirements for a legal basement apartment in Ontario? At least 145 square feet of space, 145. At least 1.9 meters, 1.95 meters of ceiling height, and the windows are at least 5% of the living floor area and 2.5% of the bedroom floor area, which is a tiny, tiny window. Uh, hot and cold water, a sink, kitchen sink, and access to laundry. What is the minimum temperature for a rental unit in Ontario? It's 21 degrees Celsius. That's the minimum. Uh, vital services including fuel, hydro, gas, hot and cold water. All landlords are responsible for providing heat to a minimum air temperature of 21 degrees uh, from September 15th to June 1st. If you have concerns about low or no heat in your rental unit, speak up to your landlord or property manager. The minimum ceiling height for a legal basement apartment is 1.95 as stated in situations where the ceilings of the second unit has a slope. In, for example, attic second units, 50% of the floor area must have a ceiling height of 2.03 meters. Uh, this includes the floor and where the ceilings are less than 1.4 meters high. What is defined for renting an illegal basement apartment in Ontario? The landlord or the owner is responsible for compliance with the Ontario Fire Code. It's all falls under the Fire Code and is responsible to ensure the safety of their tenants in the basement apartment. An individual may be fined up to $50,000 per offense one year in jail or both violations for the Fire Code. just want to share a little bit of that. But... You've been at this. How would you change things? How can we change things? Well, you just brought up the fire code. The fire codes, the fire departments used to put out fires. Yeah, they don't do that anymore. They actually put fires to housing because they're gentrifying. The fire departments are actively gentrifying. Um, there was a, uh, an, yesterday at committee, uh, one of the witnesses uh, spoke about how the fire marshal went into a building and uh, because there were four people that had special accessibility um, issues, like they yeah. they had they had mobility issues, so the fire marshal went in and put so many stipulations on this building that it was going to be like a million dollars. I don't know how much it was going to be, just un- unbelievable for the landlord. So the people couldn't live there anymore. The people had to leave and go live somewhere else because the building didn't um, accommodate them anymore. So here we have people that have mobility issues and this housing won't do for you now. You had a home and now you don't uh, because the fire marshal, your parent, the fire marshal, society's parent is determining what's a safe home and what isn't a safe home. Well, you know what's not safe? Homelessness. People that are experiencing homelessness are... uh, I think it's 10 to 12% more likely to die early because of the homelessness, because of being homeless. So when the fire department comes along, they actually, they change the, they move the goalposts to, they've been to one of my properties and they were there recently again. And then I see this, the same gentleman, I see his name all over Facebook on the landlord groups of going around to um, do inspections on big bad landlords i provide affordable housing i'm an affordable housing provider so when the fire department's showing up to the big bad landlord and well, i want this and i want this so they gave us a laundry list of things that they wanted done you know they were there previously and that those things weren't on that list the property hadn't changed they just it's you just got somebody different you had a different arbitrator this time But what's been permitted to happen is the fire department has been permitted to knock on the landlords of businesses, to knock on the doors of businesses. And like that particular property, 
my tenants were irritated with the fire department. Like the tenant went at the guy. She's like, you were here last year. Like what's changed since last year? Like I've wow. got things to do and I've got that. Like, I don't appreciate being busted in on every year or every, like she gave the guy trouble. And I'm like sitting back and I'm like, like it was and they great. Don't, and they, <laughs> I was told by somebody telling me that the fire department has more power than police to enter a dwelling. Well, actually, they don't uh, require a warrant to enter a dwelling. There's many, uh, many boots now that don't require warrants to enter dwellings. So I noticed that. I don't know if it was ESA or TSSA, one of them. But those are the delegated authorities. Those are private corporations yeah, that don't pay taxes. Yeah, they're allowed to go in there uh, if they suspect. They're allowed to go in there. I don't agree with this kind of authority. This is an overreach of government to yeah, protect us. So public safety in private hands is is uh, inappropriate. It's just inappropriate. They have turned their little piece of the law that has been franchised to them. So the government has franchised the law to private corporations. And these private corporations turn around and make billions of dollars on this little piece of law that they get given by the government. Often they're handed a monopoly with it. Uh, often, the other thing I've noticed is they're allowed to sell insurance to a, um, you've got a corralled group of people that must buy insurance from you. So, like, I have to buy, I have two mandatory insurances on me, and they're trying to install a third one right now. Triple dip in? Yeah. So, like, right now, I pay the Real Estate Council of Ontario so I pay them $500. There's 104,000 of us paying them $500. What is that, $60 million? Nice lottery ticket. Uh, and I've, I actually filed a complaint, and I said, this isn't a regulator. This is an insurance company. And it isn't just uh, them. It's also Terion. Like, what's Terion? Terion, last time I checked, was over 3000 or something like that. Terion's CEO, the last number I saw for him was $821,000 a year. So the Ontario auditor went in and, you know, one of the things on her list was the salary of the guy that was there for 768,000 a year. So they got rid of that guy and they brought in a guy for 821. So the new guy makes 821 or 823,000, but the previous guy was 768 or 69. The new guy, and like based on that, if you look at what that grew in the one year, the guy's got to be over a million dollars a year by now. This is a not-for-profit that doesn't pay taxes. And it's failing consumers terribly. People have... People uh, complain and, and nothing happens. <laughs> people have committed suicide not having their homes fixed by Tarion. Uh, people have lost their homes um, because Tarion uh, didn't fix the home and the insurance company wouldn't insure the home, uh, which made your mortgage not renewable. So now you don't have a mortgage on a house that Tarion, so the a warranty uh they didn't fix the house you got this house full of mold but you'll you'll hear more about that this is a this is a case in ontario the house would power a sale they lost the home and it was over the insurance not being renewed on the property and it was and it was a tarion case so tarion had fought this family and not fixed their home young family <clears throat> yep not fixed their home and uh then when the insurance uh, wasn't renewed, the mortgage wasn't renewable because the, your condition of mortgage is insurance. This is a new dwelling? Yep. It, it was a new dwelling. It was on the renewal of a new dwelling. And Terion, what was the reasoning behind them that they wouldn't fix it? They wouldn't 
Well, Tarion is, um, they fight consumers. They, like there was in that auditor report, there was 10,000 instances of people missing their date to put their first 30 days and last 30 days of the warranty to get their lists in. They didn't buy one day and they denied 10,000 people to um, their paperwork going in. Isn't like, Tarion full of, run by full of bad builders? That was my perception when I was there. I don't really know the, who those the builders are themselves. Like I, I see who's who and what their positions are. But what I do notice, what I have noticed, is um, I've noticed that the former minister of commercial and consumer services, who would have been charged with oversight of Tarion, would Dave was David Subushi. So David Subushi, during the Common Sense Revolution, he held that position. So he would have been charged with the oversight of Tarion, which consumers are telling us, and I believe them, that it's awful. It's they're not being there's no oversight at all. Uh, their issues aren't being dealt with, and um, Tarion is a. It's meant to be a consumer protection agency, but yeah. it protects itself from consumers. <laughs> Yeah, that's what it does. Right? There's a consumer advocacy group. Like, there's a group that grew out of the um, treatment of how people have been treated by Tarion. They actually, it's like 15, it's old. It's like 15 or 20 years old, this group. This has been going on a long time. Where's Tarion getting all their funds? Is it, it's, not, it's just not from members that are paying their dues, is it? They're getting funds elsewhere. You ready for this? Oh, God, am I? <laughs> So Tarion, Tarion is a negative externality. Uh, ter- the Tarion fee, which the the builder's fee for Tarion is on closing day, it's bumped over to the buyer. So the buyer pays it. The buyer pays the Tarion fee. And then the buyer agrees to arbitration with their, that's who's been, um, that's who that piece of law has been franchised to is, is uh, Tarion. So Tarion administers the Ontario New Home Warranty yeah. Program, um, but they will also, um, you know, I sold a new home a few years ago to a client, and I like all, all I I've known her forever, and I always thought she was such a you know she was always. Um, she comes across as you know just so easygoing, and you, you uh, almost naive, almost naive. She called me and she said, what did you sell me? Like, who are these people, this Tarion? Like, if I, I have to pay them $286 to even put in a form to, to find out if something's even covered. And she just went on on about all these fees she had to pay if she wants to this and wants to. She said, you got to come over here and see this house you sold me. Right? So I go over there in the kitchen window like the frame is, it's all lopsided, right? Like I'm thinking, oh. like you could see it. Just I'm like, let up to him, right? And it, it doesn't look good. Uh, the brand new tile, home. brand new home, <coughs> and she's got a single mom, and she's having to, you know, they got to write it two hundred eighty-six dollars for this, and twenty. They don't, you don't even know if it's covered. They don't even tell you if it's covered or not covered. You have to write the check first, and then find out if it's covered. And so, her perception, her uh, feedback on that. It was before I was really on to Terry on. Um, that her, she said to me, she said, uh, she said, how how can you be behind this? Like, how can you sell these houses and and uh, have us pay these fees? Like, your clients are paying these fees, um, and and I 
wasn't aware of how much my clients were actually paying to Terry on or how much that fee had gone up. Uh, but she said, we're paying uh, your cartel. That's what she called them. That's what she they said are. to me. I agree. We're paying your cartel. Yeah. And she called them my cartel, right? Well, to me, like to be, and I said, I said to her, uh, I said, I'll look into it. Like I, I'll, I'll see what it is. That, that's how I discovered, like they have to pay this fee to put the form in. And the after service, you usually don't have that kind of after service relationship with a client. Like for, uh, I knew her well and she had no problem, like, dishing it out to me right like she just said you got to get over here and see this house you sold me it's like okay <laughs> i'll be there and i got i'm looking at this house and she's showing me the tile we're just there was a few things there was quite a few things there she wasn't i don't think she was uh being unreasonable um but she was wasn't she was treated like she was being unreasonable she just wanted her home fixed you know she paid fifteen hundred dollars for this tarry on fee uh that so the builders so that they create a bill they create a monopoly and then they bump it over to the buyer so th and that's what's happened uh it was canada mortgage and housing that created this formula the first instance i see of that happening in our economy is canada mortgage and housing in 1952 so the cmhc fee now is 30 up to thirty-seven thousand dollars, front-loaded on a mortgage if you don't have the thirty-seven thousand dollars. Um, they'll add it to your mortgage and they'll collect interest on it for the term of for, for however long you've got your mortgage for. And this has been going on since the 50s? 1952. It's the bank's bill. Like it's your lender's bill. It's lender's default mortgage insurance and they bump that over to the buyer. So the bank's um, <clears throat> bill of up to 37000 in case you don't pay the mortgage. If you don't pay the mortgage, I still get my money because I've got this crown corporation that's insuring this money for me that I still get my money for, I'm not going to lose a penny. And it's backstopped by the taxpayer. So these are wicked things that are going on, but not a lot of people know that they're going on. And you can't, like, like you said earlier, once the government's got this money or once this entity has this money, how do you get this money back? How are you going to change this to get it back? As far as all the money that's stuck with the, that these private corporations have in reserves, they have more money than the government. Like, I, I say that very easily. Like, they have more money. Why would we have these private corporations moving money and assets from government, which is us? Why are we, mo why are we doing this? Like, we're just taking, you know, Ontario Place, 407. Like we're just taking. Is Ontario Place going to move forward that way? Has yeah. it been? It's already been. Or is it's, it still being fought? It's still being fought. I went by a sign yesterday that said uh, right by the four hundred seven on the four hundred one that said future site of the four hundred one three. Right there where the four hundred seven is at the four hundred one. So that sign I hadn't noticed that sign there before, and that sign was there already. Like it's, um, you can try to fight it. But who's who's it benefiting? Like, who are these things benefiting? That's what you, we really have you to ask. You follow that. You follow that. You find out everything. Yeah. Yeah. I, like, I think there's a pension fund there with Ontario Place. Mm -hmm. I don't know who they are yet, whether it's CPP or whether it's OMERS or it's, it's the teacher's pension plan or, you know, it's confiscated wealth. Like, they're, they're, uh, 
They confiscate wealth from the workers so that we can take care of you when you're old because we don't trust you to put your own money away. So they confiscate our earnings throughout our lives, like up to $7,500. It's rising $500 to $600 a year. It's going to be um, like the CPP ceiling. It's That's how fast it's rising. They raise both the threshold and the percentage at the same time. Every year they raise the threshold and the percentage. So, you know, okay, it's up to 62000 a year now, and it's... Uh, I think it's almost 14% or something, 12 or 14%. Uh, they, it's going to be, their goal is to get it to 20%. They're going to get, they're going to take it to 20%. That's absolutely insane. What do they do with that money? They bought the 407 with it. That was a fiasco, huh? I didn't want to sell it. Did you? No. I was wasn't willing pub- to sell the 407. I'm a public person in Ontario. It was paid for by the public. It cost us $1.6 billion to build that. We sold it for, I think, $3.1. And uh, we were told that it was a great deal for us. But it was undersold. At the time, it was worth uh, over $9 billion when they sold it for three. It was would have been worth about $9 billion at that time. And since then, a small piece was sold. 10% of it was sold in 2019. Based on that 10%, I can put a value of, on that 401. So that value of on that 401 was $32.5 billion in 2019. 10%? Uh, 10% uh, was sold. Based on the 10% that was sold, that made the entire 407. The entire 407 in 2019 when that 10% was sold, which CIP, CPP purchased, um, they exercised their first right refusal. Omer's try, I think it was Omer's that tried to buy it. That was the original contract. Was So you had like battle of the pension funds on buying the highway. I'm sitting there watching this thinking, my money, my money. Like, <laughs> and it was my money that built it. Yeah. So this this was the life of the taxpayers. Can you remove Tarion? Is it possible to yeah. just get rid of them yeah. and actually have a proper home warranty program? Mm-hmm. How do we do that? The government, the province of Ontario can do it. They have the power to remove Tarion. Actually, even um, when I spoke about uh, one of the uh, members of parliament said to me, this is a private corporation. You can't interfere with a private corporation, like about the 407. And it's like, you are the government. The 407 is in Ontario. So yes, you can. It is within your jurisdiction. It's within your boundaries. This is a private corporation operating within Ontario. They definitely can. They can force as the price. As a non-for-profit. <laughs> uh, CPP not-for-profit. So no, no, C- sorry. Uh, Tarion. Oh, Tarion. Oh, yes. Tarion as a not-for-profit. But what does that mean? That means the taxpayer is subsidizing that. Yeah. Not-for-profit means they're not paying taxes. And if they're not paying taxes, we're paying more. So th- we have so much to pay for. So the, the bill is this big. And when we have 59,000 private entities that have more money than the government, just the few that I counted, I only counted about 200 of them. I, I only looked at the books of maybe, like the delegated, I looked at all the, I looked at half their books. So there's 14 of them. I analyzed seven of their financial statements. And I went back on Terry on several years. Uh, the one that I did a full uh, study on was the Real Estate Council of Ontario. So when that was created in 2000, uh, sorry, in 1997, when that was created, 
I think they were uh, $4 million a year is what they were making, this not-for-profit. And now it's like the most recent um, annual report. I've, I've just recently read it. Uh, it looks like they're saying that their income, um, that their gross income, they play with the numbers. They, they mess the numbers around. They put so much in one year, so much in another year. Based on the number of agents and what we pay them, it should be around $150 million. And so this is being legitimized by 328 real estate agents. There's 328 real estate agents that are uh, working as directors for these corporations. They have no idea what they're a part of. I've, I've been that director. Like you are a part of, you're, you're a volunteer often. Quite often you're a volunteer that you've got years of commitments, the three-year or four-year commitment quite often, and you're trying to make things better. But you're actually a, a director that's holding up a private entity that has tons of money and doesn't pay taxes and lobbies the government to destroy your business. That's uh, the Real Estate Council of Ontario, like the changes that they're bringing forth right now, uh, they're making updates. And it looks to me like they're trying to get buyers to represent themselves. Really? So my business is sellers and buyers. So they're coming out with this brochure, which you have to go to the regulator's site for. It's only their brochure. And you email it through. So it's going to be... It looks to me like they're going to have a data phishing system on consumers because you have to send this brochure through their site to your clients uh, to give them an option of whether they want to be self-represented or whether they want you, right? So it's setting the stage for buyer representation to be done away with. It's setting the stage for buyers to represent themselves, which will make the courts quite busy. And I think they'll probably come up with another piece of legislation to deal with, because real estate is all, it's dealt with by tribunals, by social justice. Yeah. The courts are available for developers to sue buyers, uh, but buyers can't take developers there. Buyers have to deal with HCRA. So if the, uh, the canceled contracts, if your contract's canceled, you don't get to sue your builder, um, you get to deal with HCRA, who gets to do nothing. But I thought there was um, insurances to, to, for securing deposits and securing all kinds of things like that. You haven't paid HCRA yet. The closing cost. Wow. You're not even their customer yet. Like, I thought about that, and I thought, let's think about this. You know, like, here you have HCRA gets their fees from builders who bump it over to the buyer as well. That fee's also bumped, just like on. It's bumped over the buyer on closing. It'll be there on in your legal bill. Um so they have, they get this money when the house closes. So the house, these sales aren't closing. These sales aren't happening. These are breaches of contracts that have been legitimized through policy and through a system. The consumer should have a recourse on this. 100%. Like when the values on these, um, like there was entire condo projects canceled. They were canceled because the values went up. They were canceled because they could be sold for more. And the uh, situation was, the loophole was there, and that loophole was permitted. And I see loopholes created. Like, I can actually watch the loophole be created, and I speak up on the loophole now. Like, I can say, that's a loophole. Why are you allowing these loopholes? Close that loophole. It, we, it should be a fair system, and the law should be applied to everyone. 
taxation's the same thing. Like, I don't believe in these corporations not paying any taxes. I don't even believe in corporate rates because it sets a standard to say that it's okay for corporations that don't live, they don't need to eat, they don't need to drink, they don't need a house, they don't need any of these things. We do. Like, we need to survive. We need to... We All we have is our minds and our hands to try and survive. And all these corporations are trying to knock us down. And they're taking all our labor. Like finance, between finance and these corporations and the insurance companies, they're taking all our labor. You look at how much you pay. And the variable mortgage that are out there right now, some of those variable mortgages, the interest is higher. The interest portion on those mortgages is more than what they're paying. So your mortgage, say your mortgage is $2,000 a month and, you know, like last year, half of that was going to principal, half of it was to interest. And this year, that 2000 is not enough to cover the interest. They're calling you up and they're asking people, saying, you know what, I need another $1,800. Your payments weren't enough to cover the interest. And this has been permitted by um, government. The government has permitted this. They have permitted the... Fines without hearings, the first instance I see of fines without hearings is the bankers on um, prepayment penalties. So you go get a mortgage, you buy a house, and then something happens, you have to sell the house, so you lose your job or something. So you sell the house two years into a five-year mortgage. The bank will charge you three months interest or an interest rate differential. Interest rate differential, some of the um, penalties that I have heard and seen in the papers. So it was actually in the papers, people complained about their penalties because the rates got, uh, were put down to almost zero uh, because the uh, Bank of Canada really miscalibrated uh, monetary policy. They, should, they did the opposite of what they should have been doing. So the rates were lowered, and then anyone that needed to sell, if you were put in a position that you had to sell, like when those rates were really low, say your mortgage was at 3.5% or 3%, and now people can get this much lower rate of 1.7 or 1.8, you have to pay the difference of the interest rate for the next three years or the remainder of your term. So you could wind up with penalties. There was one that was a real estate agent, and her penalty was $40,000. She paid a penalty of $40,000 to her bank, and the comments on that were, you know, like, she's a real estate agent. Why should she be surprised? She should know that she's going to have this penalty and everything else. I look at it, and I say, that happened to a real estate agent. So how are the consumers doing in this? Right? If They're a real not. estate agent didn't know that would happen to her, if she didn't know she's going to have a $40,000 penalty payable to who? Finance. Banks. Like the bankers uh, are laughing at the bank. The bankers are literally laughing at the bank. This entire, um, the bankers are always doing the talking. Like nobody talks on, um, I have a meeting next week and you know who our guest speaker is? It's uh, the guy from CIBC, Benjamin Tall, the economist for CIBC. Okay. So, like, I look and I say, don't we have anybody? Do we have anybody in real estate that could speak? Or is it just politicians and bankers that come and tell us how to run our businesses? The previous year, I think we had Brian Mulroney. Really? He charges 65000 for a um, to show up. A one hour? 
If, or just to show up? Just to, uh, for an engagement. It, that was, um, <clears throat> I read that in one of his biographies, I think it was. He wrote a few about himself. Um, yeah, 60, <laughs> 65,000. And so the Ontario Real Estate Association, my group, pays this guy um, to show up. And uh, he's like the last person we want to pay. We don't want to pay him. He did not do good things for us at all. Let me do a little bit of Green Book talk. This can go on for a while. Um, what are the three OSHA fines? Uh, basically, it's gravity-based penalties, uh, GPT, GBD, oh, GBP, are classified in three categories. High gravity, serious. Uh, violation penalties are around 14,000. Moderate gravity, which are semi-serious. Violation fines around 8,000. And then there's low gravity, less serious. Violation is 6,000 for each injury. What are the top 10 uh, safety violations? So fall protection has the most hazard, hazard communication, second, respiratory protection, third, ladders, fourth, scaffolding, fifth, control of hazardous energy, six, power industrial trucks, seven, fall protection training is eight, personal protection equipment is nine, and machine guarding. Nina, I wanna ask you, um, are there any public servants serving the public? No. I was hoping for one. At least one. <clears throat> I haven't found them yet. You haven't her. found one yet? No. <laughs> wow. It's a Goliath-David thing here. Mm -hmm. So how are we going to become the Goliath? Well, I don't want to be Goliath. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I want, big enough I want to, to push... Yeah that Goliath out of the way. We should have mechanisms for reporting wrongdoing, first of all. Like we just all need to be speaking up. I think we need to continue speaking up and um, just sharpen your knowledge. Like anyone that's noticing things that aren't as they should be, um, the reason it's bothering you, if it's bothering you, then you should do something about it. Think about your family. Think about your children. Like, I mean, I'm sure... Plenty of families all over the place have been having conversations about kids and grandkids and what they're going to be paying for a home and what kind of home they're going to be getting and the rules. And if these little hidden fines and all these other fees and all these penalties and all this other stuff are in there now, you don't think a corrupt system is just going to continue to create more of those? The, corrupt, the corruption needs to be removed and the tribunal system itself, the, the private the delegated authorities, I haven't, I don't see one of them that's working as it should be. So the government has used agencies of governments. They create these agencies, and through these agencies, they the government does what the government's not allowed to do. So these agencies are doing things that the government couldn't get away with, right? Like you can't have a fine. Does a police officer pull you over and say, you know what? Here's your $1,000, sir. And do you say, that's it? That's, like, just give me your credit card now because you're going to have to pay it. Uh, that's pretty much what business AMPs are. They, are uh, they have your credit card on file quite often. Wow. Um, so it's just an automatic. It's like a photo radar for business people. And it's benefiting private corporations that don't pay taxes. And obviously, this data is all out there. Like, there's a website you can list all the corporations, so to speak, that are non for profit. It's out there. It and is. you'd probably be scared. I mean, if you, anyone who's listening right now, take your time and actually go and search that. 
and see the list. They don't belong there. Like if I can, as a consumer, if I can go through a financial statement and tell you that you're not a not-for-profit, why can't the Auditor General do the same thing? If I can, so like for example, like one of the um, companies, one of the corporations that I went through their books, um, they're almost a million dollars per employee. They have no product. Like these corporations don't produce anything. They have no product, they don't store anything, and they've been given fines without hearings, and which contradicts not-for-profit. What do you need fines without hearings if you're not-for-profit for? Why would you lobby for that? The fact that they lobbied for fines without hearings and are not paying taxes, that alone should create an investigation. I want this investigated as a taxpayer. I want these corporations tossed out of Ontario. Uh, They don't belong here. There's no room for fascism within our economy. And yet this has been permitted. When police officers pull you over and say, here's your $1,000 ticket, here's your $10,000 ticket, when that starts happening and we think that's okay, that's when it's okay to allow this to happen privately. So it's uh, like the Toronto Police Service. They got more budget. (laughs) The Toronto Police Service got more budget than all of Ontario for housing. They actually called it homelessness prevention. So we got, I think it was 650-something million total. So it was an increase of 202 million with an M, not a B with an M, so they invested $202 million more into homelessness prevention. Well, what prevents homelessness is homes. That's a very easy solution. We shouldn't be wasting money on programs and administration and administering people. We're administering poor people. It's so disgusting. It really grosses me out. So the people that are, um, that are having that are experiencing homelessness or the or are precariously housed that they could at any time lose their housing. Yes. When you lose your housing, there's a good chance that you could well the, the mental issue like mentally what it does to somebody, but also um, you you can lose your life when you lose your housing and it's just not acknowledged. It's not being treated like it's a human right. Um, that's, that's how I see it. We don't have property rights in our constitution. Now I'm starting to understand why there's all a red in the flag. Huh? It should actually be all red. It's, a, it's interesting you said that. Why? Well, you notice that the, um, you notice that the switch in the economy, uh, the countries that have done this have always had the red. Russia, China, Japan, (coughs) they all have the red. And um, I I have, uh, I think a lot of people are aware. They just don't know how big it is. It's a Goliath. It's a Goliath. Are they too afraid to start going down this path because they know exactly what's involved? Um. Well, people have said to me, like, are you scared? Are you worried about what it is that you're doing? Like, are you worried about retaliation? And it's like, they can retaliate. Um, that's fine. And if they were to retaliate, they just, they're just going to have to be, um, I, don't, I don't think that they'll survive, uh, but they can retaliate. 
you really have to, um, we have to put these things back in their cages. Like the genie's out of the bottle and it comes down to not having property rights. We don't have property rights in Canada. We think we do. It's actually, it was removed. We used to have property, it used to be number one in the charter. We, we had uh, number one, if you look at the 1962 charter, the number one thing you have there is property rights, and the Constitution does not list it at all. But we do have a notwithstanding clause. So what should have been there was not there, and we do have a notwithstanding clause. So we have a loophole. They put a loophole in their constitution. So are the lawyers just sitting down with the politicians and just looking at everything? Our politicians were lawyers. So the lawyers that did that, the politicians that did that, was Bill Davis, Pierre Elliott Trudeau, and Brian Mulroney. It was those, those are the three lawyers that um, they know better than the rest of us. They didn't think property rights were appropriate to have in our constitution. So we don't have property rights in our constitution. Such a sad state. But it was three lawyers that did that, that were our politicians at the time. And one of them, uh, like the, uh, well, the only surviving one now, one of them went on to rule long-term care. So Bill Davis, uh, before he died, so he was the long-term care real estate investment trust, um, one of the gods of the real estate investment trusts for long-term care. Long-term care is the most expensive real estate I see in Ontario. It's publicly funded, like it's, um, and that's what creates, I mean, as soon as you add public funding to something, the corporations are there with their wallets open, and they want you to pay to build the places, and they want, and they call it healthcare. They want you to pay to build them buildings, and they want the taxpayers to hand them over to them after, and then they want the taxpayer to pay for the people that are there, um, and then they, uh, these corporations, their job is to turn higher and higher profits for their shareholders. So the, how can you take care of people when you're taking care of profits? It's how do you take care of both? Can't. And these are public funds that are going to long-term care. So the health care investments, the record uh, number of investments in health care, that's not health care, that's long-term care, and that's benefiting private equity. That's benefiting publicly traded corporations, and it was our politicians that, they, they, they uh, paved the road for this. They are actively making a living. Mike Harris is at Chartwell, um, long-term care, and uh, Bill Davis was at, I think, Sienna. Ernie Eves was, so that's three pre- former premiers. We had three former premiers. Uh, who else was it? The deputy... Uh, Opposition, uh, the deputy leader of the opposition party federally, Melissa Lantzman. She's a she was a lobbyist for Extend to Care. You know where people died during COVID. They had the most deaths. Isn't long term like isn't it the fastest growing segment that's going on right now? Uh-huh. So it's just they're looking at the profitability attached to that fast growing entity. It's- it's, uh, it's publicly traded corporations. They don't belong on the end of public dollars. Why are we letting these things collect our public dollars? Or the end of your life, like your end of your years, right? And where did our money go for our end of years? To buy highways. We bought highways that we rented back to the workers. Who's driving on those highways? Uh, we made our cities uninhabitable to the people that run them. The people that run our cities should live in them or be if they want to. 
No, I shouldn't say that. If they want to. Yeah. If, if you live in Toronto and you want to work in Toronto, you should be able to. Like, if you've, if you've done everything right, if you've gone, if you did things, that, you know, like I've lived a proper life, I've gone to school, I've done this, I've done this, I should be able to live here and raise my family here if I want. Um, the income should be there to allow that. Incomes have not gone up. So we've had 40 years of stagnation on um, wages and salaries. There's been taxes added and there's been expenses added. And the things that, if you look at your net dollar, what's happened to the net dollar over since 1971, uh, you will find that um, wages have been stale all this time. But after World War II, up to 1971, uh, when we deviated from the gold standard, up until then, we had good growth. Like the growth was uh, enjoyed by the people, the workers. The workers were able to keep their labor, keep their um, work. But since uh, the social insur- insurance program, we had social insurance, we had the uh, pension Ponzi system, and we had the, um, it's like guild socialism. So the trades are almost, uh, they're evolving into guild socialist systems. Is anybody in prison? No. For any of these actions? Well, I think 1% of the American population so far, they're trying to get to five like Russia. Um, but no, there's nobody in prison. But none of these public servants are not in prison. No, but nobody's gotten... You can't even complain about them. Yes, the thing. You, you can't even start there. There's nobody to complain to. Like, the, there's no integ- integrity commissioners, not for the people. Who's for the people? Who do we complain to? When we have evidence of wrongdoing, who do we take our evidence to? My evidence is wrongdoing. It's public information. It's public You're information. You're cutting and pasting what they've already presented and done. But they don't want to read it. They don't want to read it. And it's very dangerous because we've permitted foreign corporations. Um, we've permitted foreign um, investments to come in uh, through countries. Countries have actually uh, purchased the IPOs of certain corporations. And then those corporations came into Canada and started buying up our real estate. So when this... When a state, when a country buys up the IPO of a private corporation, then that corporation comes into the country and starts buying up its real estate. Um, who's buying our real estate? It's another country through this corporation that's buying our um, that's turned buying our rental stock. So the and that's public information. Creating the supply and demand. And that's public information, and that, that's the state of China. Like the state of China bought up the IPO, almost the entire thing of Blackstone Private Equity in two thousand and seven. Oh, I love that. Like almost the entire thing, but apparently before they came to Canada, they claimed that China. Um, they say that China sold its interests in Blackstone. They had increased the following year and then all of a sudden before they came to Canada supposedly they sold the um, China state sold its interests in Blackstone before they entered Canada in 2018 I don't believe it I'm or or who bought those shares so that was 12 uh, 12 and a half percent I think of the entire company who bought those I want to know who bought those because it, it like that when that company came in they've set up shop here in Toronto now I know they have I know. When they came in, um, 
at the time, so in 2018. Since then, like they've partnered up with a local real estate investment trust. And since then, uh, they have bought, uh, let me think, I, I actually have the numbers on this. I'm going to say 2,000 units, about 2,000 units in my region. In so my, just in my region. Rent's not going down anytime soon. Housing is not going down anytime soon. We're subsidizing the perpetrators. We're giving, we're waiving development charges to build unaffordable housing. Yeah, it's ridiculous that you actually. I watched the transfer of some of the buildings. So some of the buildings that were built by one player would get handed over to the real estate investment trust afterwards. So you're thinking it's one person, like you're dealing with one developer, and then all of a sudden you are. For me, I drive by and I see the signs. I'm looking for the signs, right? And I see the sign has changed, and all of a sudden, it's a REIT that owns it. So that's how I know that they're doing a lot of developing in my area. I see the buildings going up. I see who's building them, and then I see them get transferred over to real estate investment trusts. So they're not even hiding it. No. No, they're not hiding it. They just know that the majority are not paying attention. They tell us we're being told that they're doing something good. They're providing their housing providers. So they're bringing in something that we're short of, like we're we're um, and yeah, it's sold like they're they're philanthropists, you know, like we're doing we're great guys, like we're doing this, we're providing housing, we're heroes. They're providing some of the housing in my region. The highest uh, price I saw was four thousand and fifty dollars a month for an apartment for rent, two bedroom. I think it's two plus a den. Four thousand and fifty a month. So this is what's coming to market. How many square feet? I don't know. Uh, maybe sixteen hundred. I think it was sixteen or seventeen hundred. Four thousand in an apartment. Wow. They've also started uh, severing what comes included, like with your apartment. So maybe before you had parking. Now the parking's extra. extra. So I've seen that so many times. Um, they they'll charge you more if you want. Um, Actually, one of the buildings, a few of them, uh, visitors have to pay to park if they come to see you. It's got, they've got the parking app in the parking lot. Wow. So you have to pay for the time that you're there. I'll be visiting them. Well, it makes people lonely. Yeah. Like it's, I worry about people that don't have anybody. Like I have, um, I know lots of people that either they're on their own or they're, and they're, you just think, how long has it been since they saw anyone? So they wind up being in their homes, and maybe they would have had a visitor, or maybe they wouldn't have. A friend of mine, she's a PSW, and she, like she said, like I have to pay to park at some of these places that I have to go and like do my job, like to go help people shower, or yeah. and like she's a companion to some of the people she goes to see. Like she, had nobody, you know, like I, I don't think they leave too much right so like she's coming to see them and do her and she has to pay to park like to go do her and job she's not being paid a lot of money either and they've been vilified like the personal support workers i think which are very they work so hard like they're not thanked at all no they're not thanked they don't make enough money uh they're they're doing the hardest nursing jobs and they're not considered nurses like they do the worst jobs 
They're doing the lifting and the wiping, and the, they do the worst jobs. Everything the and they family get doesn't want to beat do. up. <laughs> I know, and they get beat up, and they get a fraction of what they deserve to be paid. They were making like seventeen dollars an hour. It's insane. I know. Like for someone that's been in the business maybe ten years or so, like that's what you would make seventeen, which is a little bit more than minimum wage now, right? See the benchmarking to the minimum wage. I know, it's a couple dollars more than minimum wage. Nina, I got to get you back. We're gonna have to wrap it up. I want to do the twelve questions. Thank you so much for. Uh, I hope everybody is listening is waking up and starting to do their own research and just find out for yourself and start speaking up. There's more of us than them. There's more of us than them. That's all it is. Even though we don't have rights. There's only 2,000 of them worldwide. There's a lot more of us than that. NinaDeeb.com. Nina at NinaDeeb.com to reach her. Uh, if you guys want to chat with her, you're fine with that if they reach out to you. If something comes up, because we've got a lot of active listeners, right? So you ready for the 12 questions here? Sure. What is your favorite construction word? Shut off. What is your least favorite construction word? Water. So it's like nightmares. I know, I know. What turns you on in construction? Balance. What turns you off? Inequity. What's your favorite curse word? We've been keeping it safe here, but mm -hmm. it's up to you. The F bomb. <laughs> of course it is. What's your favorite vehicle in the entire world? The Audi. Which one particular model? I like the A. I like the A6, but the, I have an A8, but A6 would have been just fine. What's your least favorite vehicle? The BMW 750. <laughs> Why is there such a? Because I had both. Okay. All right. I always find it interesting. What construction sound or noise do you love? Hi, that's tough. Well, you've built, you've been around, you've heard all kinds of sounds. So one in uh, that's the music I like. I like the music. That's not really a construction no, sound. No, it is. is it? <laughs> you know, the tradespeople are playing the tunes. Yeah, no, for sure. What construction sound or noise do you hate? I don't like the grinding. The, there's one uh, saw that does, uh, I don't know which one it is, but it's a really awful sound that it makes when they're um, cutting when they're cutting something metal or, or concrete or wood? it's it's concrete it's on it's the concrete it's a concrete side oh, a quick cut yeah. is that what it is yeah. i don't like that shrieky sound what profession other than your own would you like to attempt one day mm -mm. i think i think i'd be a doctor yeah yeah it's a tough one i always steered clear of it because i didn't want to make those choices but it turns out i'm actually Still doing that anyway. What profession would you not like to do? I wouldn't want to be a uh, judge. I know. Last question. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at those pearly gates? Rondor. <laughs> <laughs> I like that one. <laughs> Nina, an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. Love to have you back and we'll continue the conversation and, and like amazing that you're doing what you're doing. Thank you for having me. Honestly, like it's I, 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 huge. Like it's, I want to start doing that, but I just like, how am I going to start doing that? But I'll start communicating with you and just figure it out. So maybe you'll be sitting there one day and I'll sit beside you, behind you, and um, we both won't be able to speak. Are oh, there'll always there'll be lots of words. We'll have lots of <laughs> words. <laughs> Nina, thank you so much, really. All right, Angelina, we're out of here.